Well, in light of counting it a joy and being thankful, how is everybody feeling today? Wonderful. Great. I had to sort of count a joy because I wasn't planning on it raining this morning. If anybody knows anything about me, I don't like the cold weather. and I'm not the biggest fan of rain, but I can tolerate rain more so than I can tolerate snow. Welcome to Kansas. You get both. You get all of it in one day sometimes. You get sunny, hot, 90 degree weather. You can have snow. You can have hail. You can have everything, but that's okay. The Lord called us here. It's good to be here regardless of circumstances. Amen. Amen. So, um, on the topic of anger, that's not what I'm talking about this morning (laughs) at all. It may tie in, but I am very thankful that Lars was able to share what he shared because a lot of the verses he did um, share this morning do tie into what I am saying today. Before we even go there, let me start us off with just a brief word of prayer, and then we can look at God's word. Lord, I thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this opportunity just to spend time together in fellowship. Thank you, Jesus, for how good you are and for the fact that Even in the darkest and most um, just heart-wrenching and frustrating circumstances, you can still meet us and bring us joy and show us how to follow you and show us how to bless you and really be salt and light in this world, Lord Jesus. We praise you for your goodness and kindness. And Father, I just want to invite your presence into this place this morning in Jesus' name. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would search my heart and guide my heart and show me how to speak um, in a way that lets me express the things you laid on my heart, Lord Jesus. Let me say the words you want to say and nothing of my own. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would bless us all today. Help us all to just be encouraged and spurred on in our hearts to want to know you and want to serve you more, Lord Jesus. Show us, Lord, how to use this morning as an authentic act of worship towards you, Jesus. Let us bless you and please you and draw near to you with this day, because you promised, Lord, that when we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. So we thank you for this morning, Lord Jesus. We praise you for who you are. I just ask your blessings and grace and guidance over this morning today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, something I want to talk about comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you want to jump over there, I'll give you a minute to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 3. Honestly, I'm going to be in a lot of different passages today. I'm going to be jumping in several different places all over Scripture. 2 Timothy 1 is primarily where my heart is at, and this is something the Lord's been showing me over many, many years. As you go there, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So many people have heard this passage before, particularly uh, you've heard 2 Timothy 1.7, which says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. What in the world does that even mean? It's a nice little token phrase you can say when you bought that necklace at the Caruso shopping center at the mall or whatever. But like, what is the meaning behind it? How do you unveil that? How do you like dive into it more? I think in order to answer that, you first have to ask the question, what's the problem in the first place? Why would there be a necessary issue you know, that called for that passage, that called for Paul to say this to Timothy? The problem in itself is fear, obviously. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. Fear is something the Lord has had to teach me a lot about, because if I can just be honest with you guys and be very vulnerable, being fear and being timid and being like, I mean, cowardice is a word you can even use. That's been a huge struggle of mine for so many years. Pre-Christ, as I got saved, the Lord has had to do so much healing and redeeming work in that area of my life. But when it comes to like confronting people, dealing with difficult issues like relationally in the church, 
amongst my family, whatever it may be. <coughs> just having that timid attitude, that timid spirit is something I've had to battle for years, honestly. It's like, oh my gosh, you're a police officer. Oh, great. Lord said to like really heal and strengthen that area of my life. And so something he's laid on my heart, because I think a lot of people in this church also share similar struggles. Um, I'd like to just talk about how the Lord has really strengthened that area of my life and how he's made it something that's great and pleasing in his sight, something that he can use for his glory. So you can talk about fear generally, this idea of being timid or being cowardly. Um, I want to first ask the question, what is fear? What is it? Answers from everybody. False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. That's very philosophical, but very true. Yeah, that's good. What is fear to you guys? A big lie. A big lie. That's another good one. It's actually one of mine. It's a feeling, but it can tempt you to act. That's actually much more closer to what I was thinking. I mean, everything everybody said was true. Nothing contradicted anything that was shared right now. So fear... <clears throat> Joe's going to have to forgive me because I'm going to share some Greek right now and he's going to have to mop up my mess later. But the Greek word for fear is the word dialia. I think I pronounced it right. Basically, that word from the Greek means timidity, fearfulness, cowardice. Timidity, fearfulness, cowardice. So that's like Greek, biblical Greek uh, or Koine Greek, I guess we want to call it. How the Bible kind of explains it or defines it. So if I, um, in order to like better understand the word fear and gain a better understanding of it, I also wanted to just see what the worldly definition was. So I went to Webster's Dictionary. You have to consider the fact that this is a worldly dictionary offering a worldly definition. And yet, according to the world standard, it's an accurate definition. So Webster defines fear as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. So I'll say it again. An unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. I mean, I don't know how to explain it any better than that. From the world's perspective, fear is this unpleasant, strong emotion that really grips you, that overwhelms you. It like almost debilitates you. It freezes you up from actually going forward and doing the thing you were wanting to do. So that strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. What's another word for anticipation that we often use? Anxiety. Anxiety. Anxiety, fear go hand in hand. <clears throat> when it comes to like just experiencing this fear, how it actually pans out in our lives and our emotion, it's just that gripping, overwhelming, whatever you want to call it, fearful emotion that just surges up within you. It's like, oh man, I have to lock up now. What do I do? Oh gosh. Um, so that's what fear is in our experience. That's how it's defined. What are some like sources or reasons for fear? What causes fear? A couple of thoughts. Finances. Finances. Finances are evil. It can be. I remember hearing one time, like when I was in grade school, a teacher was sharing this story. They showed like some kid goes up to his mom and says, "Mom, what's the IRS? The IRS is this big black hole that sucks up all your money. That's all it is. Finances. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, finances can cause fear. What are some other sources or causes of fear? Rejection. Rejection. Yes, very much so. Rejection, fear, man. Some of the main reasons that I came across as I was kind of diving into this more and I was praying through it and sort of surveying my past and my background. Sources or reasons for fear, we, uh, number one, lies from the enemy, the enemy being Satan, lies that come into your mind that cause fear. So let's say, for example, you come across a situation that you're aware of that you need to address. Fear comes in in the sense that, oh man, this is not going to work if you try to address it. Oh man, you're just worthless and you're not capable of addressing this thing. Oh gosh, if you do it, 
bad things are going to happen and the world's going to fall apart and World War III is going to take place if you go do this thing. All these crazy lies that sound a little out there, but honestly, I think it's real in our experience. When we're confronted with a situation, those lies set into our mind that, hey, you are incapable, you can't do it, this isn't going to happen, bad things are going to come, so on and so forth. Whatever the lie may be, lies come in. So sources or reasons for fear, you have lies. Uh, another one that I came across was just personality. That sounds kind of weird, but personality. Um, if, sec- according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, God has not given us a spirit of fear, I think part of Satan being in charge of this world does include you know, being a part of a broken and fallen world. So if we're born into a broken and fallen world, part of these broken and fallen bodies include a you know, timid personality. I think that's just totally possible. You have some people who are out there that are just courageous as all get out, that are bold, that just lead they, everything. That's part of their personality. And then you have others who it's just like, well, they're a little more shy, they're more introverted, they're a little more timid. So personality, you can say, yeah, I mean, this is just how I am. This is who I is. Sure, I can contribute that to a fallen, a fallen and broken world. But you have lies, you have personality. Didn't come from God. The point is it's still there. Another one, past experiences. This also sort of goes hand in hand with lies. Past experiences. Last time I spoke to this person, they just blew up at me and it destroyed the relationship. Last time I tried to make this bold financial move, you know, it ended up falling apart. So if I try it again, it's going to happen again. You see what I'm saying? So the past experiences, um, things that happened from our history, those can contribute to sources or causes of fear. Um, <clears throat> another one that, this one I like a little more because as I was studying this, uh, I have, I've told many of you before that I'm a fan of Tony Evans. His teachings are great. I really like, if I can endorse him as a teacher, I say he's a great teacher. He teaches very accurately biblically. When Tony Evans was commenting on this, he was talking about how Paul was talking to Timothy, and his comment was, uh, Timothy's sources of fear were caused by a lack of a strong male influence in Timothy's growing up years. So a lack of a strong male influence in Timothy's growing up years. Another way to describe that, Timothy grew up in a fatherless home. So another source for that fearful attitude or that inability to be bold is um, Timothy didn't have a good father figure to help raise him up. You know, part of God's initial plan was God intended fathers to be able to instill in their uh, children how to be bold, how to be courageous, how to confront fear, how to address really difficult situations. If Timothy didn't have that, I mean, it makes sense that the Lord had to use other sources like Paul to father that into Timothy's life. And so in many of our lives, we have this huge pandemic of just fatherlessness rampant everywhere in our culture. I mean, I, you guys know that. I don't have to say too much about it. But without a father in the, phone, uh, in the home teaching young boys how to be men, teaching, well, not even like boys how to be men, but like their daughters how to be courageous and so on and so forth, it's part of this broken world. You know, it's one of the contributing, or at least one of the primary contributing sources to fear. So there's probably a lot more reasons than that, but this wasn't meant to be an exhaustive list. Those are just some that I just came up with as I was researching. You have lies, personality, past experience. Tony Evans says the fatherless home epidemic, so on and so forth. So if there's all these reasons we have like, that contribute to fear and that make fear a problem for us, why is fear in itself so significant? Why is it such a huge problem for so many people as opposed to like maybe anger or courage or whatever it may be? I think Dom had his hand raised. I mean, sure. What do you got, Dom? Oh, I was just going to say that <clears throat> hinders our ability to trust in the Lord. Exactly that. It hinders our ability to trust in the Lord. So fear, it's one of the primary, if it is not 
the primary tool that Satan uses to keep us as believers down. If that makes sense to you. Fear, it's one of the things that, if it's not the primary thing, he keeps us to just be suppressed, to keep us from moving forward into God's will. I know I've spoken in the past about like how Satan operates. And so number one goal, if Satan can keep somebody from giving their life to Christ and becoming born again, Satan has that person's soul to go to hell. That's one thing. But even after somebody is saved, whatever Satan can do to hinder that person's progress as they develop in their walk with God, that's his second like biggest agenda. That's his second biggest motive. He tries to hinder people in their walk with the Lord as much as he can. Fear is a really powerful way that he does that. Fear being the opposite of faith, because faith is your like trust in the Lord, accepting what he said and standing on it as if it's true, because it is true, regardless of circumstances. Fear hinders you from doing that. So they're two opposite, like polar opposite attitudes or emotions. And so Satan uses fear primarily to keep believers down. Being that he governs the world, he also uses society to keep people down. But uh, what are some examples of how fear really keep people moving forward or keep people from moving forward in the Lord's will. So once again, as I was like praying through this and surveying my past, I had to pray, okay, how does this pan out in people's lives? What did it look like in my experience? Maybe you share the same experience that I do. Maybe you don't. Maybe I'm just unique and the Lord had to really, you know, bless me and all this. But on an individual level, what fear looks like is let's say you have a situation that you come across in your life. It could be a variety of things. It could be something simple like flies getting in your face, you know, and you're trying to ward off the plague of flies that are here. Um, That's one thing. Fear on an individual level could be um, I'm confronted with this difficult situation, whether it's, hey, I've just discovered a brother or sister in the Lord that I found they they have a really bad issue that I need to address. It can't be somebody else needs to address. It's got to be me. And so fear comes in. It could be, hey, there's this really challenging obstacle in my life, like a huge medical whatever you want to call it, I just lost my job, whatever the challenge may be. In your individual level, you're confronted with that situation and all of a sudden the emotion comes up, that lingering fear emotion that the world defined it as, it surges up within you and now all of a sudden, oh great, there's this fear emotion within me now, what do I do? You know, psychologists say there's the flight or flight response, that's one thing. Um, Fear wells up within you and then followed by that, you start meditating and thinking about, okay, what could happen? You start planning out all these outcomes. Okay, this is bad. What happens if I do this? What happens if they don't respond? Well, what happens if, what happens if, what happens if, and so on and so forth. You can come up with um, scenarios at infinity just to keep you from moving forward because you're developing all these scenarios in your mind that are like, oh man, what happens if this happens? What happens if it doesn't pan out the way I think it's going to? What happens if God doesn't come through? Is God even strong enough to overcome the situation? I mean, he rose Jesus from the grave. How could he possibly overcome this little trial I'm facing? That's just the reality of what we experience. Fear wells up. We get all these surrounding thoughts that just kind of flood our mind and say, what happens if we do this? What happens if I go there? So on and so forth. Next thing you know, you're just kind of in a chaotic state of mind where all these things are going around and you just sort of freeze up. Okay, I know what I'm supposed to do, but now I'm just kind of overwhelmed by this emotion, by these thoughts. How am I supposed to move forward? And you're sort of locked up. If, it, if that is not in accordance with Satan's agenda, I don't, I don't know what is. If you being locked up and prevented from moving forward, you know, isn't the way Satan operates in your life, I couldn't tell you what is. But getting that locked up emotion to where you're just overwhelmed with that emotion, you have all these overwhelming thoughts, anxieties, so on and so forth. I think that's how fear pans out on an individual level, and that's certainly been me in my past. A lot of that comes just from our background and from growing up and so on and so forth. But regardless, individual level, that's how it pans out. Uh, you also have a societal level for how fear and anxiety props up. 
I don't know what it was about the whole past election season in 2020, but man, everything just went polar opposite. And people just went crazy about every, you know, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, Trump's the Antichrist. Oh my gosh, Biden's the Antichrist. <laughs> oh my gosh. Everyone's the savior. It's, it's just ridiculous. So um, studies are showing that people are at their peak anxiety levels more so than society has ever been in. And so when people, well, sadly, it's people apart from Christ and people who are in Christ when you've placed your trust in humanity or when you've placed your trust in society or uh, government methods or whatever, I can see how your feel, fear would be overwhelming because you're placing your faith in something that is other than God and something that's going to fail you at some point. So even on societal level, so many people are just driven by anxiety. So many people are just crazy wanting to just hide from the world and go like crawl under a rock and just pretend like everything's going to be okay, even though there's nowhere in this world where you can be 100% safe. I mean, I think we all understand that at this point. The point is, if you look at society, so many people are just driven by fear. So many people are driven by anger, which also sometimes can be uh, caused by that fear. And it's just ridiculous how society pans out when we're trying to become a society that lives without Christ. So the more we trust in Christ, the more fear uh, goes away, the more peace there is. The less we do so, you see a bit of what we're seeing today. I'm not here trying to say anything political. I'm not here trying to say anything about... Um, where our nation is. I mean, I think personally we are in a post-Christian era where people are revering Christ less, but I think we have the opportunity to turn around as a nation. Revival could happen. It's going to take some work, but it could happen. The point is, the further you get away from God, the more fear erupts in a person's individual being as well as in society. So first off, that's why you don't put your trust in man. A good example of how fear really pans out in somebody's life, it's almost an, an analogical example, but it's actually a practical example too. It comes from Matthew 14. The story of Peter walking on the water. Jesus did it, and then he caused Peter to do it. So you can go there if you want. I'm just going to read it for you real quick. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciple get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea, and when the disciples <clears throat> saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter, an Peter answered him, saying, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And, why? and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So even then, you take the very simple example of everybody seeing Jesus walking on the water. They think it's a ghost. Jesus says, hey, it's not, it's not a ghost. It's just me. Peter says, okay, if it's you, call me out of the water. Peter gets on the water. The simple point here is while Peter was locked onto Jesus, he was walking on water. He was performing miracles. And I love how one of the guest pastors at the Brooklyn Tabernacle spoke on this. He said, uh, pointed out the fact that Peter wasn't just somebody who was unfamiliar with water. What did Peter do vocationally prior to following Christ? He was a fisherman. He knew the waters. He knew what it, what it meant to be on a boat. He knew this, this was his element. He knew exactly what he was doing on the water, yet he still sank, and he still couldn't handle himself, even when he was in his element. goes to show that you can be an expert at something in this world, and yet you will still face a trial that can totally flip everything upside down. Welcome to a fallen, broken world. God still loves you, and he can redeem that. It's great. So the point is, he's locked onto Jesus, walking on water, but as soon as he takes his eyes off of Christ and starts looking at the winds and the waves around him and all the surrounding circumstances, 
Fear starts to creep in, then he starts to sink. See how that works? As soon as you take your eyes off of Christ, that's what happens. He started to sink, and then he had to cry out in a simple prayer. And our prayers can be this simple. Lord, save me. But it was a faith-filled prayer. Jesus answered it. He was rescued from that. That's a very good example of what fear looks like in our lives. That's why you can associate fear and anxiety with a lack of trust in God. I mean, I know a lot of people struggle with fear, with anxiety in today's day and age. At its base core, it's just you becoming overwhelmed emotionally with everything that's taking place in your life, with circumstances, with thoughts, and so on and so forth. I'm not saying that somebody who struggles with anxiety is invalid and they're sinful and they're wrong. What I am saying is Jesus can provide a way out of that. It wouldn't be a command to be anxious for nothing if God did not intend to provide a way out of it. I can get more onto that later. The point is, this is how fear looks in our lives. It locks us up. It keeps us from moving forward. It makes us react in very chaotic and strange ways. And that's just what fear looks like practically. So as soon as I can get my thing to scroll down and continue on notes, there we go. Uh, Let me just touch a little bit more on anxiety, actually, since I'm there. So Philippians 4, uh, 6, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So once again, Joe's going to have to mop up my Greek mess later. But in the Greek, the command is given as like an imperative command, saying this is something you need to do. Be anxious for nothing. It didn't say be anxious if you can manage to be anxious, but if you can't, then it's okay. It says be anxious for nothing, given as a command. So if anxiety in itself was commanded to, well, if you were commanded to not be anxious, that directly says from scripture that falling into anxiety is a sin. That's just what it is. It's a sin. But the beautiful thing about the gospel, and if anybody has realized this yet, the wonderful thing about Jesus and who he is, is he doesn't just give us a command and show us that we're in sin just to leave us in sin. You see what I'm saying? Exodus 34, 6. He's compassionate. He's gracious, slow to anger. When God calls us out of a sin, he always provides a means to get out of it. When he says something is sin, he always wants to provide us everything we need to get out of that sin. And so even in Philippians chapter four, when he says be anxious for nothing, he doesn't just say be anxious, be anxious for nothing. And if you are anxious, you're a filthy sinner, go away. doesn't say that. Be anxious for nothing, but, and there's that key word there, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. <clears throat> the point being here is that God is more powerful than our circumstances. He's more powerful than the things we're facing. He doesn't want us to be caught in sin and to just remain there. He wants to provide us with a way out. So if Second Timothy chapter 1 is accurate, which it is, when he says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind, what is it that believers do to get out of it? Like, what does that mean for, you know, the church that Paul was speaking to here in 2 Timothy? What does it mean for Timothy himself? So we know what fear in itself is. Fear can cause us to sin. Fear itself can be sin if we're failing to trust in the Lord on particular uh, areas and particular topics. If that did not come from the Lord and it came directly from Satan, then what do we have from the Lord? I'm glad you asked. 2 Timothy 1. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, love, sound mind. Those are the things that have come from the Lord. Once again, going into Greek. Forgive me, Joe. I'll pay penance later. Power. The Greek word for power here is the word dynamis. It means strength, power, or ability. So when Paul is saying God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind, power here, that word power is the word dynamis. Hang on to that note in your mind. I'm going to get to it more later. Dynamis, strength, power, ability. 
what kind of power is this like do we have exactly what does that mean to have this power how do you manifest that power what does it look like it's easy to say the token phrase i'm powerful in christ i can do all things to christ who strengthens me that's great but how do you access that power how does somebody as a believer gain that power the beautiful thing about this is this also comes from another message that i spoke on in the past all comes from scripture go to ephesians chapter one And I'm going to pick up in verse, let me see, 19. Ephesians 1, 19. So staying on the topic of power, we have Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 19. My version reads, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? There's that word power again, the word dynamis. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? <clears throat> according to the working of his mighty power, same word, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So go over directly to Ephesians chapter two now. Ephesians two... And you, beginning at verse 1, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's also known as Satan, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, there's that word again, but God, exactly, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. That's his motivation there, love. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I can't express nearly as much as I want to how good our Lord is and how gracious he is to us and the fact that he gives us power. He redeems us and saves us from sins. For grace you have been saved through faith, you know, so on and so forth. The point being here in this particular passage, you look at Jesus, he's seated in this position of power. And if you look back in chapter one, I mean, I'll try to jump back and forth as lightly as I can here. But Paul says, Jesus is seated in the heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named. Not just, well, here's the highest authority this world has to offer. And then there's Satan. And then just slightly above that is Jesus. That's not how this works. If you think that's who Jesus is, you can scrap that because that's garbage. far above all principality and power. There is no competition when it comes to Jesus. There is none greater. There is nothing that can outmatch Christ in any way. It's not as if um, Satan and Jesus are two competing entities that are going to fight at the end of times. We're going to be biting our fingernails to see who wins. No, the battle's already won. Christ has saved us. The victory is won because of Christ. That's who he is. That's our Lord. That's who we serve. He's good to us. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's far above all principality and power and might, dominion and every name that is named. There's nothing that falls outside of that. All principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named. That's Jesus. He's the greatest, most supreme authority of all time, forever. Amen. Nothing is greater. That's Jesus. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things, which is the church. So that same power we have falls into believers. Because when you look at that power and that measure that Jesus has, and that like scope of authority Christ has, it's funny how authority, my career and all that. Anyway, side note. 
Just a side note that I had in my mind. Uh, you look at chapter two and he says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. <clears throat> according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit of no works and sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. And so the key part of this is where it says in chapter two, Ephesians chapter two, that is, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So you have Christ seated at this position of authority because of what Jesus did on the cross. He made us as believers alive with him and raised us up together. And verse six, made us sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So the gospel message in itself is a believer surrenders their life to Christ. They repent from their sins, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that God has risen from the dead, and they're saved. That's what it means to be a believer. That's what it means to be born again. And so when you do that, you submit yourself fully to Christ, but because of his grace and mercy, you have that same power because you're seated with authority. You're seated in Christ with authority, if that kind of makes sense. You have the same authority, but you still answer to Christ. You are not Christ. You're just like him. I'll put it that way. You have all this power available to you. So when it goes back to the Greek, understanding the word dynamis and this power you have, that's the authority you have. That's the power. The same power in Christ that is seated far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named. That's what it means to have this power as believers. <clears throat> and so diving a little more into chapter two, and I'll kind of finish up with chapter two here in just a second. <clears throat> so when Paul is saying, you who are made alive, in which you walked according to his trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So you look at the language that Paul is using right there. He says, you he made alive who were, were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, talking in more of a past tense, according to the course of this world. So when he says, you used to walk according to the course of this world, part of that course of this world includes fear. Part of that course is fear, because if God has given us a spirit of, or God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind, part of old self included that fearful, timid, anxious self. So to say even uh, something like, well, I'm just a fearful person, I'm a cowardly person, that's inaccurate if you're in Christ. You can say I'm somebody who struggles with these things, but because of Christ, I have the ability to overcome. I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror through him who, uh, through him who loves us, so on and so forth. So that's uh, fear is part of the old self. Part of the new self includes this power, love, sound mind that Christ has given us. Power, love, sound mind. Um, I couldn't get very far in what it means to have love in this package. You have power, love, sound mind, love. Obviously, Christ did this for love. The word there is agape. Do what you will with that information. I wanted to focus more on sound mind. Some Greek scholar is probably going to scold me for that later. But having a sound mind. So going back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Forgive me. I said I was going to jump in a bunch of places today, and I'm not done, I'm not done jumping around. But 2 Timothy 1, you have the power, you have love, sound mind. Another way to describe the word sound mind or the phrase sound mind here, it means like a calling to soundness of mind. It means self-control, moderation. So that self-control, ability to have that soundness of mind, so on and so, uh, so forth. When it comes to having a sound mind, if you compare a sound mind and power to frantic, fearful chaos and how they pan out emotionally... You know, going back to Webster's definition of fear, it's that overwhelming fearful emotion that comes in anticipation of fear or uh, dangerous circumstances. <clears throat> when it comes to that fear, in my experience, what it has looked like is there's fear coming in. I'm just getting overwhelmed with all sorts of anxious thoughts, worrying about the future, worrying about 
how this is going to pan out, what happens if this person doesn't respond correctly. Sound mind here is the opposite of that. Sound mind implies that self-control, that ability to step past this chaos, this fear whirlwind, I guess you can call it, and to be able to gain control of your mind. To be able to have that peace of mind, that ability to just let things be calm. Um, I think that's where I, why in Philippians 4, Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, my prayer and supplication. Then you go to verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. God's peace doesn't make sense at all to the world's standard. God's peace is just something that just, it shouldn't exist, but it does because God is the all-powerful being out there. So the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. It's something that guards your heart. It's something that protects it as opposed to something that overwhelms you as something that causes distraught, as something that starts making you behave impulsively and out of fearful decisions. That sound mind, that peace is meant to protect your heart and guard it. That's what I believe sound mind here is talking about. When Paul's saying power, love, sound mind, you have that power with that authority in Christ. Love, it's there, love, sound mind. That ability to have that peaceful, self-controlling, um, moderating thought process, ability to think clearly, so on and so forth. So that sounds good and all. That makes sense according to scripture, at least as far as I go, because I think I'm a pretty great teacher. You guys can judge me how you wish. You have that. You have power, love, sound mind. How does a believer like actually access this stuff? What does it mean for one of us today to tap into this ability, to this power, this love, this sound mind? How does somebody do that? That is kind of where my testimony came in. That is where a lot of the uh, timid, fearful thoughts that I've had to overcome, that's where I've had to, to just allow the Lord to access these areas of my hearts, access these areas of my heart, and really provide strength and grace. And so when he does that, Paul says back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, <clears throat> give me a second to catch up with my notes. There we go. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So laying on of hands is one thing that people use in the ministry for like healing and for empowering and stuff like that. Uh, what I'm focusing on more is where Paul says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. So the, that phrase right there, stirring up the gift of God, which is in you. Stirring up also comes from Greek. It means to like kindle up, to inflame one's mind. It means strength. It means zeal. How does somebody tap into that strength? It's not necessarily the idea of like a military drill sergeant. You know, he sees that one of the uh, recruits or the cadets is like fearful about something and he just shouts at them and says, shout at this mountain and yell at this obstacle and that will somehow give you power to conquer it. I mean, that's something. That's not exactly what's being implied here. It's not the idea of like psyching yourself up to a task, you know, getting yourself mentally prepared for it. You could say, I mean, that's kind of what it is, but it's not that either. What it means to stir up... <clears throat> in this boldness and letting the Lord have access to this is by basically spending time seeking the Lord in prayer. Spending time seeking the Lord, asking him about these things, bringing all these heavy burdens and these heavy circumstances and these overwhelming, fearful emotions you have, taking the time to just step outside of it and seek the Lord in these situations. Does that make sense? Because you can have these overwhelming emotions that lock you up. And if you aren't in Christ, that's kind of where you have to stay. You don't really have much else aside from that. If you are in Christ... Fear, it's been given by Satan. Power, love, sound mind, it's been given by the Lord. So when we're faced with those difficult, overwhelming, gut-wrenching, locking up emotions, you have the ability to step outside of that. And so how do you access that ability? You just believe through faith that, okay, God, you said that I have power, love, sound mind. I believe you. What do I do here, Lord? 
Take a minute, if you can, to step away from those situations. Invite the Lord into that discomfort, that fear, whatever it may be, and say, Lord, this is what I'm battling right now. This is what I have. I need you to step into this. You see everything that I'm battling, and you know it far greater than I do, Lord Jesus. But I believe that you're good. I believe that you're kind. I believe that I do have this power in you that you provided to me through your love. I need your help in this situation, Lord. If you haven't learned it by now, this is a good chance to learn it, but this is one of the reasons why I'm very on fire and passionate about prayer is because when you invite the Lord, who is the God of all comfort, if you take a look at 2 Corinthians 1, I'll just read it to you real quick. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father for Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. God being the God of all comfort. He says he is the God of all comfort. If you trust him as the God of all comfort, when you're faced with these overwhelming circumstances, why wouldn't you invite the God of all comfort to comfort your heart in these matters? You see what I mean? Bring it before the Lord in prayer. Invite the Lord of all comfort into these circumstances. I mean, given circumstances are different, you can have a situation that just pops right in front of you and you need to address it immediately. I think that's oftentimes why us here in the church, many people here, jump on the group and say, hey, please pray for this thing right now. I got to deal with it right now. Invite other people to pray for it too. Um, if you're in an environment where these things happen regularly, I mean, you're going to have to try to address it through prayer as best as you can, as often as you can. Say, hey, this is my job. This is what I deal with on a daily basis. Can you guys pray that the Lord would just supernaturally intervene in my day-to-day life? Because I can't always slip away for prayer in these times. But in the times where you can slip away through prayer and slip away for prayer, invite the God of all comfort into these circumstances. Let him come for your heart. Let him provide that peace of God that surpasses all understanding so you can have the strength and tap into that strength needed to break through situations. So that's how you address the emotional part of it. Because you have two polar opposites being fear and faith. You also have two polar opposites being <clears throat> fear or being um, chaos and uncertainty and, and wisdom. Those are two polar opposites, uncertainty and wisdom. So again, many of you know James because you can have, well, if anybody has been in this church for a minute, you know that Tad is, you know, Pastor Tad, memorize the book of James Trap. That's a token phrase that Brandon Highsong developed, and I love it. It's great. Anybody who's gone through the book of James at this point, and this is what Lars quoted earlier, James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's a promise. You have to ask of God. That ask is prayer. In the middle of these difficult and trying circumstances, let the Lord come into your heart and invite him into your, those areas of your heart. That is, if you trust him, you know, if you trust that God is good, if you trust that he wants to bless you, if you trust that he wants to prosper you and not harm you, if that's another issue that you need to address, that's conversation for a different time but it's something we can address even today the point is if you trust that the lord is good and he is who he says he is invite the god of all comfort into these difficult fearful hurting areas of your heart let him provide that comfort he says he will and then ask for wisdom start saying lord i need some wisdom here how do i deal with this effectively how do i deal with this in a way that's going to let me glorify you and really praise you in the midst of this prayer that's where it's at you invite the Lord into your heart and into these circumstances through prayer. Let him address it. Stop trying to address it through your tools and through your understanding. Let the Lord be the one to be the champion in your life. That's what he wants. He wants to provide for you. He doesn't want you to just sit and rot in fear. He wants you to be able to succeed and thrive, even in very difficult circumstances. That's exactly how Peter was pulled out. Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. If you haven't reached the point yet to where you recognize that I need Jesus every day for everything. You still got a ways to go. I still got a ways to go in my walk with the Lord too. We need him in all these circumstances, but particularly when it comes to difficult situations, when it comes to fear, invite him in, let him come for your heart, so on and so forth. So 
that's kind of how a believer can tap into these things practically like what are some things that we face as believers that require the lord to really supernaturally intervene in i mean we need the lord for everything in our lives i get that but some practical examples hey uh identify what it is the lord has challenged you to do first off spend some time in prayer seek out what the lord needs you to do and what is required of this situation now over time as you get to know god's word more you start to, to develop more of a discerning like wise mind in these things that's filtered through God's word. <clears throat> but when it comes to difficult situations, figure out what needs to be done. And what I mean by that, okay, as I'm seeking the Lord, I'm afraid because the Lord's challenged me to share my faith more. I need to get out there and be more bold about sharing my faith. That's one. Um, I've come across a difficult situation in the church that I need to confront a brother or a sister in. That's something that needs to be addressed. Um, I'm dealing with a difficult boss. I'm dealing with difficult people. Oftentimes it has to do with people. It could also be, hey, these circumstances have come up because of finances, because of surrounding circumstances in our life. Whatever they may be, figure out what the problem is first. Zero in on that. Find out what it is the Lord's asking you to do. <clears throat> and once you know what that problem is, then you can say, okay, God, this is my problem. How do I deal with it? Give me wisdom. Count it all joy. Let the God of all comfort come in and start filling your heart with that wisdom, with that peace, with everything you need to be tooled up to address the problem well. Like specifically when it comes to confrontation or dealing with difficult people, it could be um, on the job, it could just be in the church, it could be whatever. I've come to find that it's most effective if you really seek the Lord in prayer ahead of time and really let him just like address the situation on a spiritual level first. Bathe the thing in prayer first. Let the Lord start working on the person's heart before you even go speak to him. Let the Lord start filling your heart and mind with wisdom first before you even address it. Now, I mean... That's not an excuse for delayed obedience, necessarily. That's not like, hey, I've been praying to go address this, brother. You've been praying for that situation for three years. Go talk to the guy. Good grief. <clears throat> it's not a, an excuse to just delay it continually and just until you never address it. There has to be a reasonable amount of time between you seeking the Lord in prayer and you praying for the individual before you say, okay, I just need to address this situation. What that time frame is, I can't say specifically. It differs from person to person. Point being... Invite the Lord into these situations. Let him go before you and clear that way, provide you the comfort and give you everything you need. And then you'll see how he comes through in power. Does that make sense? That's how he's come through in my life. That's how he's been able to just come through in these areas of my heart where I have to just let him say, Lord, I'm dealing with these very difficult things right now, very difficult people, whatever it may be. I need your comfort. I need your peace. I need courage. I need wisdom. I need whatever, all these tools that I need to get out there and handle these very difficult situations in my life. To this day, that's how the Lord has to provide strength for me. I just invite him in. Let him do it. And over time, he really, really, really strengthens this area of your heart. He really, really makes it better. Really provides everything you need to be more of a courageous believer. Because if we are, according to Romans, more than conquerors through him who loves us, that's what it means to function in that role. More than a conqueror. Uh, one of my favorite pastors who I like to listen to, Pastor Jack Hibbs, he is the pastor of Calvary Chapel out in Chino Hills, California. He defined courage as maintaining and controlling fear. It's not like, hey, there's some people out there that just don't have fear at all. They never struggle with it. I would guarantee everybody has fear in their heart for something. It's learning how to control it and maintain it and move past it. That's a good definition of what fear could be. And so the simple answer to it is seek the Lord in prayer. Invite him into these areas of your heart. Let him bring comfort. Let him bring peace. Let him allow you to prosper. And that's how you just start growing in that area of courage. That's how it works practically. To this day, that's how I can contribute any courageous moves that I have made. It's only been by the grace of God. Now, it's still a struggle that I continually need prayer on. The beautiful thing about prayer and seeking the Lord 
is that we don't live in Hebrew times anymore. We don't live in Old Testament times to where, you know, well, the priest had to go to the Holy of Holies once a year and speak on behalf of the people. He had to go to a physical location to do it. The wonderful thing about us as believers today is going to go in Psalm 91. This is where I'm going to finish. So Psalm 91, you don't have to go anywhere physical to do it. But if you read Psalm 91, I'll just start at verse 1 and kind of finish out somewhere in the middle. Psalm 91, verse 1, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. That's verse 10. That's where I'm going to stop. So you think about that for a second. The Lord is our refuge and strength. When can someone talk with the Lord in prayer? Anytime. Anytime. Because we are that temple, because we are that dwelling place where the Holy of Holies is, we have access to Christ and to the Lord any time of the day, anywhere. He alone is our refuge and strength. And I love how verse 9 says, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, you go back to Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 1, far above all principality power. That's who the most high is. There is none higher than him. He is it. If you make him your strong tire, if you make him your refuge, if you make the Lord the God who comforts you, you can't lose. You can be unbeatable only through Christ. It's anybody who places their faith in anything else other than the Lord, even in the church. That's how you you fail. But when you invite the one who is the most high, who is that secret dwelling place of comfort, that's how you find victory in these circumstances. That's where you get that comfort. That's where you get that strength. That's where you get that zeal. That's where you can start off in a circumstance being very defeated and lowly, spend a good couple of hours in prayer, you can come out as bold as a lion because the Lord provided that strength. Does that make sense? That's who our Lord is. That's who we serve. And this is what he wants to do. Once again, he doesn't want us to just remain in fear. He wants us to tap into that power, love, sound mind, that self-control of our mind, that power we have. It's access through prayer, knowing the Lord, seeking his face, inviting him into these areas, letting him provide comfort, letting him give us the courage, the wisdom, everything we need to speak in order to conquer these situations well. Because every one of you as believers, your label is more than a conqueror. That's who you are in Christ. If you think you're anything less than more than a conqueror, you're wrong and you just need to get that corrected. That's okay. More than a conqueror, not just somebody who is a conqueror, more than a conqueror. That comes from Romans chapter 8. So that's who we are in the Lord. He wants to provide us fuel and strength and courage in our lives so we can be bold as believers, so we can be bold in our witness, so we can advance his kingdom for his glory. Amen? Cool. That's all I got for you guys today. Hope it was something. Let me say a brief prayer. We will wrap up and stick around. We have lunch. Lord, we thank you for this evening. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that you and you alone are deserving of all glory and honor and praise. You and you alone are the one that's providing me with courage and strength, everything necessary to accomplish what I have in life. Lord Jesus, that's all because of you, Lord. I am nothing apart from you, Lord. I have nothing apart from you. None of us have anything to offer apart from you, Jesus. And I praise you for the fact that you don't uh, just stay distant from us. You don't plan on us to try to figure it out. You want us to be invited in, Lord Jesus. You want us to come in. 
you, you want to come into our hearts and you want to provide us with the strength and zeal and comfort we need to glorify you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would show us today how we can bless you, how we can honor you, how we can be courageous as believers, how we can really access this power you've made available to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, for anybody that is struggling with fear, that you would give them that captive sound mind, that they would be able to take the thoughts captive and under control so they can glorify you and serve you, Lord Jesus. Fill us with strength and passion. Show us how to bless you today, even bless us today as we fellowship. Uh, let us have a good meal this afternoon so we can glorify you and bless you. We trust you in all things, Lord. Thank you and praise you for all the ways you're going to move. We ask your blessings and peace over today, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Cool. Thanks.